So get out your Bibles, and I want you to go to the book of Exodus. And by the way, I have been in the ESV, but I'm going to the NLT, and I'll tell you why. The ESV just got too small for my eyes. I got this big print up here, and um, uh, it, there's nothing worse when all of a sudden the, the words on the page just get all blurred while you're up here speaking. I don't know about you, but I get flushed real fast. And, you know, if I get all mixed up and all of a sudden I can just feel this heat coming up my body and uh, up to my face. And uh, so if you see me in the NLT, it's just because I like them all, you know, but the words are bigger here. I, some of you can see that from the back row, you know, if you really got good eyes. But um, today I want to start a, a new series. And last week we finished the uh, series on the Holy Spirit. And you can go online. There's like seven uh seven studies on the Holy Spirit, and uh, Karen was telling me last night at uh, camp that they had the kids coming up, and they were just uh, praying for them for the Holy Spirit, and I thought that was cool. And by the way, last week I was sharing it with you about, I did a funeral last week, and this guy was in service that, you know, just uh, looked like he was really distressed, and I went and prayed for him. He reached out this week. He reached out this week, and uh, um, I'm still not in direct contact with him, but uh, he is telling the people that reached out to me, he said, I don't know what that, who that man is, but man, when he came and talked to me, he says, I just felt, I just felt God just come and touch. And so just keep praying. He's going to be here in two weeks. So I'm excited about that. So um, we're going to start talking about today, Moses, and uh, we're going to call it the making of a champion. And... Um, And so I want to set the scene this way, because when James Montgomery Boyce wrote a book about the life of Moses, he began the first chapter with this. This is what he said. Apart from Jesus Christ, no person in history has made so deep or lasting an impression as Moses has. And and I think that's pretty impressive, because it's quite a statement when you consider all the famous people out there, you know, from Napoleon to Muhammad to you know, Lincoln, Luther, you know, we could go on and on, you know, the famous people out there, Alexander the Great. And yet there he stands all alone, the great lawgiver, the emancipator of Israel. And um, apart from Jesus himself, he is called the greatest man in the Bible. And when the apostle John wrote his gospel near the end of the first century, he offered this comparison. He said in John chapter one, verse 17, this is what he said. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. And it's no surprise that the name of Moses is mentioned over 700 times in the Bible. That's a lot. And um, Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, God wrote an epitaph uh, about Moses when he said this. He said, there has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses. And, and I like this, whom the Lord knew face to face. And I think that's pretty cool. I think I'd like to have that type of relationship, wouldn't you? Just that intimacy with God. And, um, and that's not all said, that's said about anyone. Uh, that's not said about anyone else in the Bible. Uh, not even Abraham or David or Paul. Um, and so when we think about Moses, you know, our mental image depends on a lot about what Hollywood has portrayed him. Now, if you're a certain age, <clears throat> 60 and above, okay, uh, you're, you're uh, probably going to remember Moses being played by Charlton Heston. All right? Come on, there you go. And um, playing Moses in the Ten Commandments. And if you're younger... Okay, your remembrance probably of, um, of Moses is the Prince of Egypt. And, and you know, the funny thing about in that movie is he gets older up to about 80 in the, in the movie, and he never ages in the movie. I mean, he just looks great the whole way through, you know. But that was probably one of the greatest, um, I love all the songs that are on there, on that, on that movie. And so, um, and then, you know, if you're... Um, kind of culturally understand, understand culture. You know, there's a, there's a statue, at, a sculpture, that uh, is made by Michelangelo with, of Moses, and you'll see that one where he's holding the law and he's looking off, and, and you can see that. But 
Um, I want to just tell you that the Bible presents us a very different view of who Moses is. And uh, while showing that he was a real man and showing that he had understandable great gifts, there's something interesting about the Bible. It also doesn't cover up his weaknesses. He he doesn't cover up his weaknesses, especially his painful self-doubt. And he faced huge problems and didn't always handle them well. Okay? And um, he was born in slavery in Egypt, and he rose to become a great leader of Israel. And millions looked to him for guidance. And the Bible says, though, that the Lord spoke to him face to face. Let's say that together. The Lord spoke to him face to face. And although he led uh, people out of Egypt and through the wilderness, he, he himself could not go into the promised land because of his own disobedience. Uh, he was fearful, he was failing, and sometimes even furious. Uh, and yet he was called the friend of God. That's quite interesting to me. Uh, Exodus chapter 33 verse 11 says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And that's an amazing, um, is that the right verse up there, Exodus 33? Okay, as one speaks to the friend. And it's kind of interesting, um, and, and here we go about Moses. He had an anger issue. You know, has anybody ever had to deal with anger? Are you sitting next to someone who's had to deal with it? You know, okay, you know. And... Um, he had an anger issue, and, and, and as with Moses, the anger got him into trouble. You know, it got him into trouble, and he not only got into trouble, but, you know, he had to pay the piper on that one, and, and he got so mad and did some things, God wanted to kill him. Now, that's, that's, that's not good, is it? And, um, you know, so, but yet the Bible says that he was, um, yet he called him friend. You know, he called him his friend. So I want to say this about Moses. He was not a perfect man. um, But Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says he was faithful in all of God's house. Uh, How many are not perfect in this room? (laughs) If you didn't raise your hand, you just missed out. You know, but we're, we're not perfect. But it says that he remained faithful. That when I get to the end of my life, you know, that you say, hey, Pastor Bill wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. And here's the thing, because I, I want you to see, when we talk about heroes in the Bible, all of God's heroes have warts. I don't care who they are. Um, you know, and just because they're human. And they're all flawed. They're all, you know, uh, broken. None of them per, uh, approach uh, uh, perfection. And yet they had this relationship with God. And I love, um, I love that. You know, when I look up here on the worship team, you know what I see. Uh, some of you say, oh, they're just so wonderful. But I do, Karen. But I, I know all of them personally. <laughs> and I know some of them have failures. You know, I, so, I know some of them have made mistakes. You know, Chelsea, when I see you up here, I just want to cry because I know what God has brought you out of. And the fact that you can get up here and sing the way that you sang, and it was so beautiful this morning. You know, I love all your tattoos and the, you know, I mean, I just know that God has been so faithful to you. And he's brought you through so much. And I know that your mom watches online and she loves you and your dad loves you. And, and it just when I look at her and I just say, you know what, God, we all have situations and warts and things in our past that we're not proud of. Right. Come on. And yet God still loves us. And um, and I want you to hold this thought in your mind, because as we study this amazing life, uh, you know, I want you to think this. If Moses could have done, um, could live for God, so can I. Okay? And, and, and I want you to hold this thought in here. God's methods are never out of date. The way that God deals with people, it's never out of date. 
And so in this series, I'm going to focus on the beginning of Moses' story because we need to see how God prepared Moses. And there's no human reason why he should be the deliverer of the people. In fact, everything argued against it. He's made mistakes, God. He's, he's a failure. And yet there he is standing on the bank of the Red Sea, parting the water so the people can cross on dry ground. And, and I would pray that God would use this series that we would say, God, give me the faith like Moses for this 21st century. Because here's the thing. God is looking for nobodies. Did, did you get that? God is looking for nobodies. Now, we can divide his life into three sections of 40 years each. 40 years growing up. How many know some people in here that they, 40 years they still haven't grown up, okay? 40 years growing up, 40 years in the desert, and then 40 years leading the Jews. Uh, D.L. Moody said this, that Moses spent 40 years thinking he was a somebody, 40 years thinking he was a nobody, and in the last 40 years, learning how God could use a nobody to become somebody in his sight. Amen. Isn't that good? Amen. Another pastor applied this truth and he said it this way. God is looking for nobodies who will become somebodies in his hand. And so Exodus is, and we're going to be in chapter 1 of Exodus. And I'm going to go through the whole chapter. And it's where the story begins. But I, I want you to notice as we get into Exodus, the name Moses is never, is never even mentioned. Because I think God wanted us to know something about the world the way it was 3,500 years ago. And Moses was born in dangerous times. And that's important to know because uh, life really isn't any different because we live in dangerous times. And... Um, Moses, you know, when things were at their worst, God raised up this guy, Moses, and he spoke for God. Now, I want you to look at this, and I want you to see the prosperity that God sent. And, and go to verses 1, and um, we're going to go down, read down to verse number 7. It says, These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is, Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. So Joseph was already there when they got there. Let's go down to verse 5. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became an ex notice the word there, extremely powerful and filled and filled the land. Now, four centuries have passed since the end of Genesis and the beginning of Mo uh, Exodus. And what started as 70 people coming from uh, the land of Israel into Egypt, okay, to be rescued maybe because of the famine, has turned into perhaps 2 million people. Okay, now, I think the high desert has about four or 500,000 people in it. So you got to imagine that. There's about 2 million people that are now in the land, you know, at the... Um, area of Goshen, the delta near the mouth of the Nile River. And the thing is, their blessing brought them into bondage. Their obedience, you know, how many know that our obedience often gets us in trouble? I do the right thing and I still get in trouble. Anybody relate to that? Yes. You, you do the right thing and it's just the way of life, we still have trouble. And sometimes we suffer not because we did wrong, but because we did right. And when that happens, we need deep roots in God that's going to get us through. So uh, now look at the pain, though, that was allowed. And you'll see that in verses 8 through 14. So you go down to verse number 8. Eventually, everybody say eventually. eventually. A new king came to power in Egypt. We don't know his name. Who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Now, that's just unbelievable. 
here's the guy who delivered them out of Egypt, and they know nothing about Joseph anymore. You know that he's been, you know, basically sent to the hieroglyphics on their walls, you know. And it says, eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or, or what he had done. And he said to the people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. And if we don't, and if, this, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. And they will escape from the country. Now, the Egyptians face this catch-22. You ever kind of, kind of, no matter what you do, you're going to still be in some sort of catch-22. It's going to catch up with you. They couldn't live with the Jews, and they couldn't live without them. You know, they hated the Jews for three reasons. They were too numerous, they were too prosperous, and they were too dangerous. And the new pharaoh, we don't know his name, was weak, insecure, and a bit paranoid. And you know nothing, he knew nothing about Joseph, which is incredible. And all of a sudden, from being the hero of Egypt, you know, Joseph has been relegated to, like I said, the hieroglyphics on the wall. And here's the thing, nations forget. How could they forget Joseph, but they did? Nations forget People forget. How many know friends forget? And families forget. Okay? How many ever have a forgetting problem? Anybody have a forgetting problem? I took my mom to the doctor the other day, and they said, oh, this isn't the day that you take her to the doctor. It's next week. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, man. And I did something like that the day before. It's like, it's like I have a forgetting problem right now. And we live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world. So seeing the Jews like that, you know, what happens is, is Pharaoh concocts this three-part plan. And uh, the first step, you know, because he despised them, the first step is that he, he caused a forced labor. We're going to make you do work for us. And it always amazes me when I'm in Egypt, I look around and I say, oh, look what the Egyptians are doing. And I'm going, yeah, right, you know, I think the Jews are what built this you know, this city. And so he added to their forced labor until life became bitter for them. Let's go down to verse number 11. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build cities of Python and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites uh, multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy, and they made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields, and they were ruthless in all their demands. Now, you know, you could also take this as part of a history of how America started up with slave labor, you know, and how it, you know, it was, they were very ruthless in the way they did that. But gone were the days when Pharaoh honored Jacob and welcomed his people to the land of Goshen. Gone was the privilege that was given to the Jews because of Joseph's position in Egypt. And so I want you to see, as we're, we're reading through this, Moses entered into a troubled world. It was a very troubled world. And he was born to be a slave, but God had other plans. And I, I wrote in my notes, God propose, man proposes, but God disposes. And, and Pharaoh had plans, but God overruled them because he wanted to protect his people. Now, here's the third thing I want you to see. The plan that God approved, okay? So here we come face to face with this ugly brutality of unchecked paranoia. And so you get down into verse number 15, and um, it says this. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua. Okay, just keep that in mind right there. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth and watch as they deliver... 
If the baby is a boy, kill him. And if he is a girl, if it is a girl, let him live. Now, wow. This is heavy, isn't it? Can you imagine that? This is genocide. This is baby killing. This is murder. And they were to get rid of the Jews by killing the baby boys. And it's a sadistic tactic worthy of the Nazis. And we like to think that we're more advanced than this barbarism that, you know, they talk about. But are we? You know, under the, and I'm so glad that, and if you agree with me, uh, fine. If you disagree with me, as I say, you have the right to be wrong. Okay. <laughs> I am so glad that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Amen. Amen. Now. Again, if you agree with me, great. If you don't, you know, I love you anyway. Okay, but under the guise of health care, we now, you know, abort unborn babies. Um, a proposed Maryland law would allow doctors to legally neglect newborns who somehow survive an abortion attempt. Uh, writing in National Review, March 5th, 2022, Wesley Smith says... The pro-abortion left clearly is slouching toward not only authorizing late-term abortion for any reason, but also post-birth deaths of unwanted born babies. Colorado just passed a law that babies can still be killed 20 days after birth. California is trying to pass the same law that it is proposed by Congresswoman Buffy uh, Wicks from San Francisco that after 20 days that the baby is born, that we'll still be able to take the life. And we think that we have this moral high ground and that we are simply more sophisticated than the, this ancient pharaoh. But I'm going to tell you, we have produced a generation of mental uh, giants and moral pygmies. You know, idiots, that's a great word. And the heart of man has not changed. The sin that darkened Pharaoh's heart darkens ours as well. And I want to thank God for these two women. And notice verse 17. And, and I want you to read it with me. And I don't want to get too far away from this. But be, let's read it together. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders and they allowed the boys to live too. Now, I don't want you to get too far from this first because there is, this is nothing less than deliberate disobedience. It is intentional rebellion against an unjust decree. And I want you to pay careful attention to what the text says because they feared God. They disobeyed the king. Little boys lived, thank God. And it was the silent just, a judgment against injustice. And they, they weren't out there protesting. They weren't out speaking publicly against it. But they weren't out there posting it on social media like I think some of us will, would. But here's, here's what they did. They simply decided to obey God. They understand you don't kill babies. You know, it doesn't matter what the king said. You don't kill babies. My wife was having a conversation with someone just recently. And they said... How can you say it's a baby? It's just a blob. You know, I, I saw a picture the other day, you know, right after the Roe versus Wave, some gal that was obviously nine months pregnant, and she wrote on her stomach, she lifted up her shirt, wrote on her stomach, and it said, still not human. And, you know, for me, this is a very touchy issue because, you know, I, I remember when my grandson was born at uh, 23 weeks, you know, that even though that he was born prematurely, he was one pound, seven ounces, you know, this little boy, you could see the heartbeat up on the monitor. You could put your hand in there and he would grab you with his little hand. And I want to just say, you know what? I, I am just so blessed by these ladies because they simply just decided to obey God, that they understood that you don't kill babies. It doesn't matter what the king said, you just don't kill babies. And the midwives, they took the stand without regard to the consequences. And, 
And I realize, you know what, I could be talking to people in here that have gone through abortions, but I'm going to tell you, the grace of God is very big here today. And if you've gone through that, you know, I'm not, I'm not drawing judgment or condemnation. I just want you to know that God's grace is very big. God's grace is very big today. And I, I can't go on without saying that, you know, don't walk in judgment. Don't walk in condemnation because the Bible, God forgives us of our past. And, you know, they didn't know what would happen, and evidently they didn't care. And it reminds me of what Peter said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than man. And we come back to this moment again and again. Secular governments hate any challenge to their power because they want total control. And that's why the Chinese regime, regime, regime is trying to strangle the church out of existence because they don't want anybody to come against them. In a totalitarian world, there can be no competition. And I really believe with all my heart, we're living in the end days. Okay? I don't care how you look at prophecy. We're living in the end days. And, you know, the whole world lives on the Internet right now, which is good, except when it's not. You know, when Ukraine was going to be under uh, battle with uh, Russia coming in, one of the first things they did is knock out the, the Internet. And then somebody, another company came in and says, we're not going to let you do that, and they provided Internet. But, you know, unfortunately, the Internet has a really dark side. How many know that? And whoever controls the Internet controls communication. Whoever controls communication controls the world. And I agree with those Bible teachers who say that we are in the end of days world right now. And uh, the internet could allow one person to control the whole economy. And, and I just need to say this. Hard times are coming, church. You know, we think, oh, you know, life is going to get better. And I don't care if you put your candidate in. It might get a little better. But life is not going to get easier. It's going to continue to be tough. And, you know... Um, I'm just saying you need just to be really careful. And, you know, I, um, I think we need more moments like these Hebrew wives, that midwives that just say, you know what? We're going to trust God rather than we do man. And I don't advocate rebellion. I just merely observe that we're in weird times right now. Eventually, word got back to the king that these Hebrew boys were not being killed. So as he calls in the women, he's furious. He can't allow insubordination. Heads are going to roll, literally. Look at chapter 1, verse 18, okay? So the king called for the midwives. Why have you not done this? And why have you allowed the boys to live? And the Hebrew women are not, they said, well, the Hebrew women, they're not like the Egyptian women. Their midwives replied, they are more vigorous. And have their babies quickly. We cannot get there in time. I thought that was interesting. Okay. Uh, God honored their, uh, their obedience. And so, see, this brings us now to the second um, stage of Pharaoh's evil plan. Okay. Uh, the first stage was forced labor. The second stage was genocide. Kill the babies. And I thank God for two women who feared God more than man in and, and, and incidentally, we don't know Pharaoh's names, but we know these gals' names. And if you're in your Bible, you might want to write this in there, because Shifra, that means beautiful. Her name meant beautiful. And Pua, her name means splendid. And, and, and I want you to see this, because their names mattered more to God than Pharaoh and, and his, all his Egyptian glory. God made sure that they were honored. And, and I want you to notice verse 20 and 21. I want you to see what happened. But it says, look in verse 20 and 21. So God was, what does it say there? He was good to the midwives. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. Look at verse 21. And read it with me, please. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. I don't know about you, but that's, he gave them families. I love this. God gave them families. 
And because you're faithful to God, and let me be crystal clear about this, God honored their disobedience, and he honored them as he would Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego centuries later in Babylon, you know, with Daniel 3. And with that, we come to the end of Exodus 1. It says this in verse number 22. And Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So here's the third stage of Pharaoh's plan. In shorter, remember the first was forced labor. Second was genocide. And now he's gone from slavery to genocide to state-sponsored murder. I, I want you to see that as I start about talking about Moses, I'm, I'm laying out the groundwork that their times was hard too. Some of you say times are hard right now. And he no longer relied on the Hebrew midwives to do their dirty work, which they refused to do. Now he declared open season on any Jewish boy, and he sparked a reign of terror that spread across the nation. And Pharaoh's gone from slavery to genocide to state-sponsored murder. And in making this command, he played into the Egyptians' fear of foreigners and their prejudice against the Jews. And here's the first and not the last instance of anti-Semitism in the Bible. And as the chapter closes, everything Pharaoh feared came about. His evil plans have come to naught, but like Herod, the great who ordered the, the um, slaughter of the boys of Bethlehem, he intended to destroy the future of God's people, but God had another plan. And I love that. So I want to give you some lessons here, and I'm just going to wrap it up with this. I want to give you some lessons about this chapter, this, this teaching. Here's the first one. When God intends to bless his people, no wicked man can foil his plans. Come on. Some of you just say, man, I just feel like the enemy is attacking me. I'm going to just say when God wants to bless his people, there's no wicked foil. No wicked man can foil his plan. And Pharaoh was kind of like the Hitler of the Old Testament. And he thought he could give the word and all the Jewish boys would be killed, but how many know God had other plans? And I love that. Secondly, salvation is of the Lord. And this is important because, you know, the Jews needed to learn that Pharaoh would not be the one that saved him. And they could not save themselves. And it was true then and it is true now. If you're looking for the government to save you, church, hee-haw, it's not the government that's going to help you out at all. And it is better to be a Hebrew midwife than to be a pharaoh of Egypt. It's better to be a lowly person serving in the courts of the Lord than someone who is the pharaoh of Egypt. And I want you to see here that salvation needs to come from heaven. It's kind of interesting that reformers often spoke of an alien righteousness. And that's in Isaiah, you know, um, or in alien righteousness, meaning that righteousness that comes from another place. And, and, and if all my righteousness is like filthy rags, which the Bible says in Isaiah 64, verse 6, then the righteousness I need is, needs to come from God and not from any, any source of myself. How many know we're all pretty messed up? Okay. And... I have nothing inside of me that can help me. You want to get rid of a habit? You know, you go to all these self-help classes and this and that. How many know I can't help myself? Just try to lose five pounds and see how well you can help yourself. Right? I need someone else to help me. You want to get off drugs? You probably can't do it yourself. You need the power of Jesus. The Jews needed to learn that only God could save them. He was their only hope. Here's the third thing. It is still true that we must obey God rather than men. When the Hebrew midwives disobeyed Pharaoh, they were actually obeying God. They feared God so much that they did not fear Pharaoh at all. And lives were changed as a result of what they did. And God honored their faithfulness by giving them families. 
You know, and, and we can conclude from this story that it is better to be a Hebrew wife than the Pharaoh of Egypt. And we may find ourselves in this position before long, to be honest with you, church. And given the moral trajectory of this world, we will soon need Christians who will risk everything, everything, and to obey God regardless. These are amazing days to serve the Lord, by the way. Reverend Newhouse uh, was on one of his speaking for tours, Richard Newhouse. And he's picked up at the airport by this guy who talked about, oh, life is so bad right now. Life in America is so bad and difficult. The life is difficult and times are difficult. And, and finally, Reverend Newhouse had enough of the doom and gloom. And he just said, well, I just need to tell you, these may be bad times, but they're the only times we've been given. And despair is a mortal sin. These may be bad times, but it's the only times we've been given. And what are you going to do about it? And then here's the fourth thing, and I'll wrap it up with the worship team. They can come up here. Every child born to a Christian family is a statement of faith. Every family. You know, I saw Joe and Sue back there. I don't know. I don't see Sue right now. But, uh, you know, last week um, we dedicated your son. And I tell you, that Joe, that was probably the most powerful prayer I've heard, man. That, that was dynamic. Because he prayed for his son. And I believe that every child born to a Christian family is a statement of faith. How many believe that? You know, it does no good to talk about how it was 50 years ago. That doesn't matter. These are our times. This is the day to serve the Lord, whether good or bad. These are the only times that we've been given. And it is our privilege to serve the Lord. We have no time to despair and no reason to despair since Christ has been risen from the dead. You know, sometimes I hear well-meaning Christians say that we shouldn't bring children into the world. But when has it ever been easy to raise children, church? Yes, these are hard times, but the hard times were in Egypt and the Jews kept making babies. And in that awful hour under a murderous king. In spite of those circumstances, when hope was lost, the Bible says he gave them families. Now, some of you might not have children, physical children, but I'm going to tell you, God's going to give you children. God's going to put children in your life. He's going to put families in your life. I go across the street, and I have the school that's over there, and I have the, the, all the Sunday school kids. And if you were in the second service, you saw all these kids that were up here, and they were up in the balcony, you know, as we were closing the service and praying for them. And God has given me a family, and it is big. And, and not only that, I've been around for so long, I have big people come up to me and say, you're dad. <laughs> you know, you're dad to me. Wow. I was at a wedding last night. I did a wedding, and there was a young lady there. Young lady, she's 49, okay? As soon as she sees me, Dad, I got a big family. I got a big family. Some of you just think, oh, life is so terrible. I'm going to tell you, come and hang out with me, man. We got a great, I have a great time. I love life. I love life. I really do. I love right now. I'm happy. I'm content. I'm not dealing with depression or discouragement. I'm just whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is. I'm happy. Come and join my family. You come over to my house tomorrow. We're having a barbecue, man. We'll, we'll barbecue something. I don't know, you know. We need to say to our young people, fear God, get married, make babies. Come on. Don't be afraid. Don't say, well, you know, this is a hard time to have kids, man. No, you need to go have kids. Have a lot of them. And have fun while you're doing it. 
right? <laughs> so do you stand with the midwives or do you stand with Pharaoh? Will you stand while others bow down? And in the end, it's more dangerous to bow to the world than to stand before God. We will not be silent. As I said last week, you know, the state of California has become a sanctuary state for abortions. We're going to be a sanctuary state for those that don't want to have abortions. We're going to be a sanctuary church for those that don't want to have abortions. You're safe here. This is safe. We stand for life in a culture of death. We stand for truth in a time of lies. We stand for hope in a world of despair. We will not be silent. These are your marching orders today. Fear God, stand to your ground, speak the truth, and let God take care of the results. Amen. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so trust them with my lives. And I just thought, you know, we're, this is July 4th weekend. I think America is 245, 44 years. Somebody figured it out, okay? <laughs> Let me know. And you know what? We're at the crusp. Crisp, crusp, cusp, cusp. Okay, <laughs> we're not cooking today. Uh, the cusp, where America could turn one way or the other. And, you know, the fact that we're as old as we are, we're the oldest democracy in the world. Okay, others have been, you know, led by one king or, you know, the, that way. But we're the oldest democracy. And, and we're at the cusp of where it could turn one way or the other. So, Frank, I don't know what God's put on your heart to pray, but let's pray for America. Let's pray, and I'm going to have you, Pastor Robert, and then I'm going to have you, Steve. So go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, first of all, with thanksgiving for letting us live in such a wonderful country, one that you have been put first in. And I believe today you're still put first in. I don't believe the lies of the government. I don't believe the lies of the news. I believe the truth of your word. We stand on the word of God that can't compare to any other word. Lord, we lift up those children that are coming back from their mountaintop experience, that their faith holds strong, they're called according to what you have told them, and they're obedient. And I pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Robert. Lord, we thank you again for the freedom that you give us, Lord. Lord, I thank you family here that you've given us, Lord. And I just pray for anybody that is at home, that's feeling sick, that needs a touch from you, anybody here that needs a touch from you, Lord, that you would do that this morning, Lord. Make them stronger spiritually, physically, mentally, Lord, financially. Lord, we also know that the enemy is the master of confusion. 
And so, Lord, as we got taught this morning, Lord, we can either be a midwife or we can be a pharaoh. Oh. And, Lord, Amen. I just I just ask, Lord, and we come against the enemy that would bring that confusion, especially for our young people, Lord, as to what decision we need to make, Lord, and that they would make that stand, that they would be clear, Lord, you are truth, Lord, and that they would come to you, Lord, and we pray for those this morning, that they would make the right decision, Lord, and that they, again, would be able to rely on their family, as pastors shared this morning, we're here for, for them. Lord, we give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Steve. Father, I come before you humbly because we're all so undeserving. Your grace is much greater than what we deserve. But Father, you have created a way for us to actually move and go forward. Lord, our nation is in a world of hurt. There's been a lot of issues in our nation over its history. We've done things wrong. We haven't gone the right direction. We seek for popularity or for power or for, for money or whatever it might be. And we're not seeking after your face. Forgive us, oh God. Come on, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of those things. Oh God, our nation needs you. My prayer to God is please bring revival to this country. To this, this city, this church, Hallelujah. to my heart, Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. God, bring revival. Hallelujah. You can make laws all over the place, but they're not going to do anything if people aren't Amen. changed. Amen. God, bring Amen. revival. Hold. Thank you. God, I just want to see your hand move on these people here. Upon what's coming in the next service. Spirit, move upon us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Move upon us. Bring boldness to us, God. Many of us can be timid and stand to the side, but help us, oh God, to be bold Come for on. your spirit, Amen. to Hallelujah. be bold for your word, to be bold for you. Help us to stand in truth and in power by your spirit. Speak through us, oh God. Speak through us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That those who know us will know Jesus and not us. Help us to be the nobodies who are willing to do whatever it takes that somebody might know Jesus. Amen. Help us, oh God. We give this to you. And we glorify the name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am made, I will sing of the goodness of ready to receive this dynamic word from God because I think the king's coming and he's Amen. coming soon. Um, okay, tell us how Deanna is. What do we need to do? How do we need to pray for her? Uh, 
thank goodness she's uh, uh, she doesn't always <clears throat> question everything. But when the doctor came in and said to her, we found um, cancer in uh, five lymph nodes. Um, she thought, uh, uh, she thought out of 19, well, that, that's pretty good. But I'm hospice and I know what that really means. He only biopsied five. And so she has more cancer that was going on than what was going on just in the uh, colon, which that has been totally taken care of. But from the time, it was so rapid growing, it, it grew 50% and two more cancers in the five weeks that we waited to have the surgery. So what will be happening next? We're not sure, but we know this. Our faith is strong. We believe that God is the only one who can decide when our time is up and when we're over. And we will use whatever strength that we have, and she does with all the nurses, let them know that she believes in God. And Amen. she's been surrounded now with nurses that used to attend Living Waters Chapel and are coming where in you used to recognizing pastor. hope, where we used to pastor. And so she's getting strength every single day. She feels the strength of your prayers. Keep it up. Okay. Let's lift our hands toward Pastor Greg. And Lord, um, we he stands for Deanna today, and we pray for complete healing in Jesus' name. In Lord, Jesus your name. word says you sent your word and you healed them. We pray for Deanna to be completely healed. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, Pastor. God bless you. Let's lift our hands as I put a blessing on you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance on you and give you peace. And together we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody said? If you need prayer, uh, elders will be up here, and they would love to pray with you. And God bless you as you go today. Amen. Amen.